0: This is Distinct Nostalgia by MIM, the enthusiast's podcast. I'm Andy Hoyle, and this week we're celebrating a TV creation which is a global phenomenon, popular with all generations. Invented by Jim Henson, you'd think The Muppets Show would have been originated in America. But in actual fact, it began its life in Britain at ATV's Elstree Studios in the mid-70s. Media mogul Lou Grade took a punt on the madcap anarchic characters. And the rest, as they say, is history. And they've been in our lives ever since. So, it's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. It's time to put on makeup. Yes, it's time to raise the curtain as we remember The Muppet Show's formative years in the UK. MIM's Ashley Byrne has been meeting a very special trio, including the voice behind one of the biggest Muppets characters. Enjoy. It's
1: the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Mr Steve Martin.
2: I particularly remember the Steve Martin Show because in England... None of the crew knew who Steve Martin was and did not get it at all. And they will say, oh, he's not funny, is he? He just comes on and he does this thing with balloon animals and then he... Why did they get these people? Why can't we have somebody famous like Matt Munroe? We get all these American people over <laughs> here, but we don't know who they are. And of course Steve Martin went on to become incredibly famous and the Americans knew him and was absolutely brilliant, but they <laughs> just did not get it initially. That's absolutely.
3: true. I remember our floor manager, Richard Holloway, was actually angry that Steve Martin was there. He just he was <laughs> incensed that that somebody so unfunny would be yeah. there. And then I think within three or four months he had somehow come around, and he was walking around saying, "Yes, but can he make balloon animals?" <laughs> <laughs> it just took a while to soak in, and, and then everybody loved him.
4: In those opening titles, of course, the ends there with your character Gonzo, doesn't it? Blowing the um, the hooter at the end.
3: Yeah.
2: Hello, uh, I'm Louise Gold and I joined the Muppets on the second series of The Muppet Show. I was 20 years of age and had never done any puppets
4: before. That was 1977. Was it? Yes, just reminding you. Okay, that was
2: 1977.
4: (laughs) 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 Okay, Dave, tell us us your connection.
3: Hi, I'm Dave Golds and uh, I was one of the performers on The Muppet Show and um, I'm still around, still doing it.
4: And you were gonzo, is that right?
3: Yes, among others, yeah.
4: Absolutely. So I've got the ch- i have actually talking to Gonzo. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't realise how important this is as, somebody, as a little boy who's about five at the time. All right, all right. <laughs> it's really
1: important. I'm talking to Gonzo. Fabulous, <laughs> thank you. Um, Joe, then. Okay, my name is Joe Bailey. I'm a writer. I wrote for The Muppets on and off for about 20 years. I was a staff writer on The Muppet Show when uh, Louise and Dave were performing uh, I also wrote about 10 seasons of Sesame Street, and I wrote uh, the second season of The Muppet Show and part of the third season of The Muppet Show.
4: So tell us, all of you, how did The Muppets come about in Britain? Why did, why did it end up in, in the UK from 1976 onwards? Maybe we want to start off with Dave on that one.
3: Yeah, you know, Jim had for many, many years tried to get a television series, long before I joined him in 1973. He and Frank would lug boxes across town. Jerry Jewell, the head writer, would go with them. Don Celine would sometimes come along, and they would crouch down behind pianos at ad agencies. And they just couldn't get a series. And we were really close in 1975 because George Schlatter, who was the producer of Laughing in America, proposed that we co-produce a series and pitch it to CBS. So I wasn't involved in the tape, but Jim made a demo tape. And um, CBS passed. So that left us high and dry. But at the same time, ATV was interested. And Lou Grade was, I guess, in discussions with David Laser, our other producer. Suddenly, we were doing a television series in London, and it was a guaranteed 24 episodes, which you could not get in the States.
4: So there was a lot more freedom, was there, from working in Britain on this?
3: There was freedom, and, uh, you know, Jim essentially had creative control. I remember during the first two weeks of shooting... The CBS O&Os, who were customers, there were five stations around the country owned by CBS, their representative was there watching us. And and, uh, Jim was so stressed out that he started smoking. But (laughs) he started smoking when he stopped as soon as they left two weeks later. (laughs) (laughs) And and I guess they were satisfied that it was going fine and they went away and they never came back. And so Jim had complete creative control. There were no notes from a network or anything. It was like Jim's electric train.
4: Let's bring you in, Louise. So tell us about your memories. You joined in 1977, so the second series. Yes.
2: Obviously what... around the same time as Joe.
4: Yeah, yeah. So what did you know about the Muppets? You...
2: Not very much. I was an actress. I hadn't done a little bit. I've been in Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and that children's theatre. And I got the audition... Purely because I was tall, because all the puppeteers were tall. The sets were built up. If Jim Henson had been five foot, I would not be a puppeteer today. The quirks of fate. They wanted, because of equity, I think they had to see British people because all the other puppeteers were American. So I did an audition. They got three actresses, including myself, to come and work on one show each. And I got the job and then got trained on the job, was thrown in at the deep end. It was incredible. I think I got given a chicken first because, you know, chickens are fairly easy and did a lot of singing, did a lot of voices while other people would work the puppets. And then gradually I would learn how to... You did to quite a lot in. of characters,
4: actually, didn't you? And you played... Um,
2: Annie Sue Pig That's was my it, character, yes. who was a little bit um, all about Eve to Miss Piggy.
4: Yeah, she didn't like, like her, did she? Miss Piggy, really. She, well, she, was, keen she was jealous of a young, talented,
2: <laughs> beautiful performer. What can I tell
4: you? <laughs> so, so I mean, I mean, you say you're thrown at the deep end. Yeah. I, I was watching a video the other day, an old film of, as I think it must have been the first or second series, of behind the scenes. And... Uh, I was amazed at the, just the, the detail and the, the the timing and all the rest of it. I mean, to be thrown in the deep end and to have to deal with all that. I mean, t- just tell us how it, what it was like and how you sort of became these characters. You know, when you're twenty, you have a huge arrogance. Now, <laughs> I would
2: not be able to do it. I think I'd go in and and freak. But I thought I was amazing, and <laughs> I knew I, could, I knew I couldn't puppeteer, but I could sing a lot better you know jim said oh great it's wonderful to have someone to sing and jim loved everybody's talent the thing that was extraordinary about working for him was whenever he would give you criticism it was only because he knew you could do it better it never felt like why are you doing it like that it felt like i know you can do it
4: brilliantly so i'm going to push you till you do it better um joe how did you get the job
1: um working on the muppets then well, I had, I had written, I'd been a staff writer on Sesame Street. And after four years on Sesame Street, I, I was beginning to feel burnt out on the show because I wrote a lot of it. So uh, I told the executive producer during a hiatus that uh, I had to take some time off. I had to go write something else. And I wrote a letter to Jim Henson saying that I had you know officially resigned from Sesame Street. And I had a few ideas for the Muppets and maybe we should talk. And uh, the next thing I know, I was in with a meeting with Jim and the show had been on the air for one season and he asked me to write some audition stuff. So I wrote him uh, an audition script with everything but the guest stars in there since I didn't know who the guest star was going to be. And he said, what are you doing next? So I said, well, my wife and I are going to Antigua. It was February. We wanted to throw out. So we went to Antigua. We were there for two weeks. And I came back from the beach on a Sunday night, and there was a message from Jim Henson. Call me. So I called him on the phone, and he said, where are you? I said, what do you mean? He said, we're having a writer's meeting tomorrow. Where are you? I said, Jim, nobody hired me. (laughs) He said, oh, okay. How soon can you get here? And I managed to catch a commercial flight a couple of days later, and that's when I found out that I had the job. (laughs) They used to say that, that the Muppet show backstage was like the Muppet show only with people. And a lot of it was was really like that. But it was always fun to work with Jim and you know he was one of those guys if he believed in you then he gave you your head. Yes, yes. And uh, you know he he created these wonderful little worlds and and if you could live in that world then it was just fine. Let's turn to Dave then, Dave. So Dave, how did you become Gonzo?
4: How did you get the part of Gonzo?
3: Well, uh, I think Jerry Jewell had the idea for this character who was a real loser, and he did these awful acts and thought they were high art. And uh, so Jim chose that puppet from the, uh, the pile of puppets that we had in New York, and Jim had actually built that puppet years before, and he asked me to try it. And so I did, and the whole first season I, was, I played him in a very downcast manner because I was so insecure. This was my entree into show business, and I, I was learning from zero. You know, I showed up at the Muppet Show, and uh, and I had to learn how to be a performer more than even being a puppeteer. The performer was difficult, so I can I held him in tight. I, I was very inhibited in my performance, and uh, eventually I loosened up, and and then he got very exuberant, and then the, by the time we did Muppet uh, Christmas Carol, uh, he became very soulful. You know, Jerry. Jewel wanted to get Dickensian prose into the show, and he asked me if I would be willing to have Gonzo perform Charles Dickens so that we could get that language into the uh, movie. (laughs) And it was a real nice thing because it sort of coincided with my growth as a person and uh, it added another dimension to Gonzo. And so now he has all, all three of these things. He has the, the loser thing, the discouragement thing, uh, exuberance, and he also has a soulful side. So it was really, really nice to f- a way to flesh out that character over the years. What
4: is Gonzo? What is he? I,
3: I'm not sure. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> he doesn't know. We, we don't really know. <laughs> we did uh, a piece in Aspen, Colorado, where the Muppets went camping with John Denver, and there was a scene around a campfire at night when a man-eating chicken invaded the campfire, and everybody ran away, but Gonzo ran after it. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, be careful, Gonzo, that's a man-eating chicken. And Gonzo says, I know, but he doesn't eat whatever I am.
3: <laughs> I mean, that's so great.
1: So basically,
4: Gonzo... Uh, the character evolved with you as a
3: as a performer. Absolutely. And this was because of Jerry Jewell, I think, because we were together over the years, long after the Muppet Show, it kept continuing. And we even started giving talks at for various organizations about character development. And we used Gonzo as an example of that.
4: Gonzo became a very big part of the show he's one of the ones that if people say who remember the Muppet characters I would say most people would say Miss Miss Piggy you know uh, Kermit Fuzzy Bear and and and, and Gonzo he, he was one of the main
1: characters in the end wasn't
3: he oh uh, yeah yeah he became one of the main guys still is still doing him
1: <laughs> we did a couple of things with Gonzo I mean, I used to just make up stuff for him to do I think he he wrestled a brick one time and lost and another time he danced with a cheese Uh, and then there was the whole thing with the the chickens oh
3: yeah you know Mike the animal trainer was a lovely guy but he couldn't train animals and (laughs) promised dancing chickens and when they got there the chickens could not dance and so Gonzo was sitting on a trunk in the basement of the Muppet Show theater and uh, Mike was out in the hall and he tossed a chicken into the room tossed them in one at a time and Gonzo would try to audition them. And, and this one chicken came in, and Gonzo said, well, let's see a, let's, let's see a little two-step. And, uh, and the chicken did nothing, just pecked, it, pecked at the floor and then walked out. And he he, he sort of called back after and said, uh, uh, don't call us, we'll call you. And then he turned to camera and said, nice legs, though. And Jim just... <laughs> it's right. Jim just fell over laughing. He just thought it was so funny because he actually had a little thing for chickens himself. And... Uh, that's how it started. That's how his obsession with chickens started. It was a physical attraction.
4: <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. I um I watched an episode of the Muppets, uh, one of the very old episodes from the seventies, the other day, um, in which uh, Gonzo is doing a a stunt where he's in on a motorbike. Um, where he's about to he's, oh, yeah. he wants to dive into the uh, to the two old men, uh, watching it from the you know in the, in the theater. <laughs> um, and um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just I mean, do you remember? Do you remember that, uh, Dave? Do you remember that one?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, and it's it's a clip that gets shown all the time.
1: Yeah, okay, I wrote it. <laughs> uh, did you, Joe? <laughs> I, I did, and the line that's left out is, I'm going to jump between those two old gentlemen in the box, and by the way, I've chained them to their chairs for their own safety. Yes.
3: <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. He <laughs> then crashed he did, through the railing.
1: And then he jumped the motorcycle. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I mean, he was, a, he was a really, really, really great great, uh, great character, but you didn't just do, uh, and I know you, and obviously you're still doing him, but you, you've done the other characters. You were the hand for Beaker, were you? Is that right?
3: No, I did Bunsen Honeydew, the scientist. Oh right, Richard Richard Hunt performed Mm -hmm. Beaker, and it was interesting. We did the first season without Beaker; there was no assistant, and it wasn't very funny. You know, I I couldn't. Bunsen just introduced these these inventions that were stupid and they didn't work right, and uh, it wasn't all that funny. And I really felt egg on my face. And then uh, during the interval before second season, Jim did a little sketch of Beaker, and I think John Lovelady built Beaker. And once Richard Hunt started performing him, now he was always a victim of what, whatever went wrong in Bunsen's experiments. And uh, that's, that's what made the bits funny, with Richard being there.
4: Yeah, there's one, one episode I saw where Beaker was singing, actually, some kind of romantic song from the 1970s. Uh, oh, my well, God. He wasn't really singing. He was singing in Beaker mode, if you know what I mean. But it was <laughs> well, uh, I,
3: would, yeah, I would recommend there's... you uh, go on YouTube and watch Danny Boy because that was...
1: That's the one.
3: It was performed by Beaker, who can't really speak, uh, the Swedish chef who speaks Swedish, and... uh, Oh, a- animal! Yeah, right. an- all animal could do was just repeat "Danny Boy" all over, over, over and over again. <laughs> and it is hysterical. I mean, me telling you about it is no good. You have to see it. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen.
4: <laughs> yeah, definitely look at that later. Um, but Beaker was an, it was a it was a was a character that stands out for me as a kid. I don't know why. I mean, he was just daft. He was a really daft character. But there's something about Beaker that I always look forward to the to that to that to those scenes with, with with Beaker. And the other thing I always look forward to, which I think everybody tends to look forward. to, who was the, was the two old men, the two old old chaps, and what they had to say. But we, you, you, knew, you knew what they were going to oh, say, yeah. really, but every week. But it, um, repetition was quite a good thing.
3: <laughs> yeah, when they started out, Jim did Waldorf and um, Richard Hunt did Statler. Actually, in the very beginning, there was a pilot we did where Jerry Nelson was Statler and Jim was Waldorf. And um, Jerry sat out the first season because his daughter was ill in New York, so he didn't come to London. So Richard did Statler and uh after richard passed away jerry took him over and after jim passed away i took over uh waldorf and it's so funny because i don't feel that i own waldorf i feel like i'm just filling in until jim gets back right yes
4: so so going, going back going back to the that period in the 1970s when it launched in the uk and it became a you know a big hit in the uk can you, can you remember dave that it being such a big thing over here do you remember the response that that people you know had to it
3: oh i have a story about that i uh, during the first season i lived in the town of harpenden northwest of london and on saturday mornings i would go over to this bakery and have coffee and toast and read rolling stone or something and I really enjoyed it. And the the bakery ladies behind the counter were were very motherly. They 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 took me under their wing. I was this this uh, American fellow who worked for uh, some something called the Moffats or something like that. That they didn't know what they were. It was some sort of a TV show, and they were very nice. And it was a peaceful thing. And I used to love doing this. The second season, I came back and I opened the door to go in there, and. One of them saw me and pointed at me, and she nudged the girl next to her and pointed at me, and all of a sudden they were they were just giggling like schoolgirls. Uh, they, and, you know, I went in and I had my coffee, and I, while I was eating, I realized every time I looked over at them, they were pointing me out, and then and then I noticed that people in all in the, this whole room that I was eating and were all looking at me, and I felt very uncomfortable. And uh, when I went to pay. They asked me for an autograph, and I'd never done an autograph before, so it felt really strange to sign my name and have somebody keep it. Um, but I never went back there. Oh. I never went back because of the scrutiny. I just thought, oh, this is so uncomfortable. I'm, I'm working now. I'm not just relaxing.
1: I'll tell you my one of my favorite 70s in London stories with The Muppet Show in, in 1977, for some reason, England was going on strike. I mean, everybody was, Some days there was no milk, some days there, was, there were no newspapers, whatever it was. I mean, it wasn't my country, so I wasn't involved. But the Electrical Workers Union, to show their displeasure, would cut the power to large chunks of England. And they actually put out a press release saying that as long as The Muppet Show was on television, in the uk there would be no power cut <laughs> so i would watch the show and it went on i don't know 7:30 to 8 o'clock and i lived in downtown london i had a, I had a, a flat near regent park and as soon as the credits start to roll i would go over and look out my window and 60 blocks of london would go black <laughs> <laughs> but when the muppet show was on everybody had shoes but that was true i mean it was amazing to see street lights Uh, traffic lights, building lights, everything just, boom, black.
0: Distinct Nostalgia is made by MIM, and MIM has a brand new comedy panel show on BBC Radio 4 called The Likely Dance.
4: We worked out a system so you can set up a cot, like a hamster cage. So we used to put a water bottle on the side, (laughs) have the food at the bottom, and then just let the kids take care of themselves. And um, You know when it's a different
1: father and you're slightly older than the rest of us, It's like Victorian times.
0: The Likely Dads, hosted by former Blue Peter presenter, now dad of twins, Tim Vincent, and starring Russell Kane, Mick Ferry, Jonathan Kidd and Sean Hegarty, is available now on BBC Sounds.
2: The extraordinary thing about the show which went out I think it was a Sunday early evening but the pitching of it was not for children it was not offensive it was not political it was not blue but it also dealt with very adult things in a way that so it was real family entertainment yes, yes. and um I don't think there are many things that really do that you know they have a sophistication that the Muppets had, but appeal to children, you know, Gonzo and his chickens, um, and Dave, well, we won't even go there, Gonzo and the chickens, but, you know, a sophistication and a depth of the emotions of the relationships.
4: And the the thing is, you know, when it was being shown in the 1970s, it became so big that stars were queuing up to be on it, weren't they, at one point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, you know, the guest star was, you know, it was really important to the show, wasn't it?
2: Oh, my goodness. And we had everybody, Bob Hope, Julie Andrews, George Burns, these extraordinary, Shirley Bassey, I think got, Shirley Bassey yeah. extraordinary stars. I mean, I was meeting these every week. It was just <laughs> absolutely amazing. And they all loved it. And Jim... Um, worked with them all so well, directed them so well, and and they never they worked with the puppets as though they were creatures. They yes. were real, were living
4: beings. What I noticed from them, compared to stuff that's made today, just yeah. generally, not just the Muppets, but any, anything, is that um, we were saying earlier on about the freedom and all that stuff, but yeah. there was a great deal of, you know, there was a, a sort of... Um, a rawness about them as well, in the sense of yes, they were done really well, it was very creative and all the rest of it, but it didn't feel slick, if you know what I mean.
2: Yes, I think in the best possible way, because it was it was huge fun and things would always develop. There was backstages where all the characters would walk across to go on stage or to come off stage, and there would be a written scene. But the thing that Jim, I remember, was that Frank would be doing some snake in the background and suddenly it would all become about the snake in the background <laughs> and the two people walking across with a line. The, you know, Jim, so it, would loved, it would evolve yeah, yeah. out of what people were doing and there was anarchic... Things would evolve, yes, from the performers.
4: And just bringing Dave here a second, because you obviously worked together at certain points, yeah. do you remember moment, these moments, Dave, where, where, where these things evolved? And do you remember working specifically with Louise on, on different things?
3: Yes, we they did evolve. I mean, there was, you know, people always used to think, they, you know, people who were not in show business used to ask me if we made it all up <laughs> on the fly. In fact, one, one person said, I'm going to be in London this summer and I can probably get half an hour free. I'd love to come see the show. And I just, I just said, "Oh, no, you don't know. It takes <laughs> yeah. seven weeks to put together a show. Uh, each episode, R- literally but seven
4: weeks. Each episode. Is that right? Well, the shooting was over a week. The shooting was over a week, but the actual, the creativity, the yeah. whole thing would yeah. be seven weeks. That's amazing.
3: What I will say about Louise is that when she joined, she was. Uh, I thought you were nineteen when you actually. Well, maybe I door. was nineteen. I think you. I
2: was very young. Age.
3: Yeah, you are trying to up-age yourself, but yeah. <laughs> um, she was really loud and brash and just <laughs> climbed all over everybody, and I just didn't like her. And, and I just thought, what is, what is Jim thinking? You know, he always <laughs> brought in all these people who were very different than each other, and there was a certain amount of friction at first. And, of course, later I came to just adore Louise, as I do now. But uh, she's an was... enormous talent.
2: Well, one of the things about the original people on the Muppet Show was the the friction of the family. It mm, was a yeah. family and a really dysfunctional family and people drove each other mad but they loved each other so much.
4: <laughs> Absolutely, that's <laughs> fantastic. Well said. So so just going just going back to the ATV days well any days really but, but you were telling you were saying how long it used to take to make these um these these episodes so it'd be, i mean yeah you were a week maybe filming and whatever but uh, seven weeks in the, in in the, in the making in terms of actually turning everything round just tell us a little bit about that what go you know people think of puppeteers yes somebody with a hand up somebody you know up a, up a puppet or whatever and a voice and all that kind of thing but you know it, 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 there must have been even though it was fun there must have been incredible pressure as well
3: oh yeah i mean as a beginner it, i really felt it i was exhausted on weekends i would have days where i didn't even get out of bed on a weekend um i, there, I was working so hard and trying to learn how to do this performing thing that i've, I've really felt it um, but at the same time we did a lot of fun things i mean like I think during the week, like on May- I think it was Wednesday nights, Joe and I and a few other people used to drive to London 25 miles after working all day to go to a Mexican restaurant because we missed Mexican food. And there was a place in Sloan Square we used to always go, and the, ta- the chicken tacos still had the pin feathers in the chicken. It was not good. <laughs>
1: but, but do you remember that, Joe? We'd just jump
3: in the car and just head to London?
1: Yeah. I remember one, one night we were in an Italian restaurant, and uh, with the Richard Hunt, who turned turned the entire restaurant into a party. Yeah. Because Rich would go up and do imitations and talk to people. And there was a, a very nice couple sitting next to us right at a central casting. She was beautiful. He was handsome. And somehow Richard got them involved in these bits. And I remember somebody dancing on a table. <laughs> and when and everybody was finished, when we were leaving the restaurant, this couple said to Richard Hunt... We came here to have dinner to discuss our separation and divorce. And we had such a wonderful time, we think we're going to stay together.
3: Oh, that's great. I never heard that. (laughs) Just
4: thinking, just reminiscing, because we're obviously going to come to an end soon, but talking about the the core characters, you know, of of Kermit and Miss Piggy and uh, Gonzo and Fuzzy Bear and whatever. What do you think it was, um, Dave, that actually... Because, again, they evolved, didn't they, over over time? You know, Kermit came many years before and was, was I think he was a lizard originally. Well, but what, what what was it that, um, what was the chemistry that made that work, do you think? Because, um, obviously, they were experimenting, weren't they, in the 70s?
3: Oh, I think it was, it really all, all of it came from Jim's philosophy and it still does, even though, you know, we're still doing it, Jim's gone, but it still comes from his philosophy. And he he didn't pontificate, he didn't talk about it, but he he just had a sense that there was enough in the world for everybody. And he was very generous. Um, he believed that most people were essentially decent. He trusted people. And his trust was almost always returned. I mean, almost always. And the other thing about Jim was that he really loved diversity. When I got there, I thought, wow, he's got a range of characters here. These people are they would be unemployable in silicon valley where i came from and he it took me a while to really appreciate everybody around me you know i just i i found their behavior so off the norm and it wasn't until we had done things together and created things together that i realized each one of these people can do something that nobody else can do and I think that was the overriding lesson from, from working with Jim, that uh, diversity only enriches things.
4: We're looking back looking back at the 1970s and the, 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 the way in which the Muppet Show was made then. And of course, it's still being made today in different guises, and there's been films and all the rest of it. What's the biggest change, though? Because as I said to Louise, there seemed to be a degree of rawness about it back then. It seemed to be very anarchical, the rest of it. Still, there still does seem now... Both in the Muppet Show, but in all sorts of um, programs these days, to so be a bit more of a, a slickness about it. What do you, what do you miss from those early days, uh, Dave?
3: Oh, uh, that's a great point, Ashley. I, I miss exactly that. I miss the roughness of it. We, we hone our music more now. We, we make sure that we're all on pitch. We, you know, back then we were ragged, and it was, there was an energy about that that was really good. Um. We we tend to try to over-polish things, I think, now. But I must say, uh, that the, the performers that we have now doing Jim's characters, Frank's characters, Richard's characters, and Jerry's characters are utterly committed. They all knew the person they got the character from, and they are committed to preserving that character in the spirit that it was created. So what's the legacy
4: of that period in... The UK when The Muppets was being filmed at Elstree, what what did that do for a for the, for this franchise? Which which everybody you know, every I don't think anybody ever tires of the Muppets. I don't know anybody who's ever slagged the Muppets off and said it's awful. Everyone well, loves the Muppets. Well, yeah, but don't
2: you I? have to remember, and someone the job I'm doing at the moment suddenly Muppet has become a not a swear word, but a derogatory to oh you Muppet. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the best legacy but that is you know that word has come into the english language yes as right. a term but i think there's huge affection um dave was here at the o2
4: yes
2: and the feeling of people seeing these characters that they have loved and seeing them live it was just extraordinary the love and affection for these pieces of
4: Yeah.
3: Everyone treats them as real. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) People,
3: uh, it was a really warm welcome. And uh, we did three shows there. And and about a year ago, I I appeared at the Albert Hall and sang uh, Gonzo's song from the Muppet movie, which was, um, I'm going to go back there someday. And people in the audience were just sobbing.
2: I was
4: was one of of those people sobbing, Dave. (laughs) It
2: was extraordinary. Because Gonzo is
4: real. Absolutely. Gonzo is you. And Gonzo is... Can you you remember going back to your characters? Yeah. You still do any of those voices? Um, Annie Sue. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, do any Sue?
2: Yes, I'm really excited to be here. This is the most wonderful thing I've ever ever done—being on the radio interviewed. It's fantastic. And
3: you want to be just like Miss Piggy?
2: <laughs> yes, I do. I think she's so clever and so talented, and for a pig of her age, she's just amazing.
4: <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Joe, let's bring you in then. So, what do you think is the legacy of the Muppets then?
1: Well, it. Uh... You know it's funny. it was it was it was great to work the show. I was thinking because one of the reasons is we didn't have to work blue and we didn't have to work political. so it was it really was universal entertainment. I mean, those those characters, to me, Kermit was always every man. He did everything by the books and the ceiling fell in on him. <laughs> but at the end, everything worked out because he was because he really was a you know every man. He was a decent person and and that kind of humor. Uh, I mean, you can look at all Laurel and Hardy movies that were made before I was born, and it's still funny. I mean, there's just a kind of a universal humor that's out there, and Jim tapped into it. So, Dave, there's
4: a treat for somebody who, say, grew up watching The Muppet Show, can you do me a bit of Gonzo? Can you tell me what Gonzo makes of it, the fact that he's still around after 35, 40 years?
3: Oh, my God, I've had work. I'm telling you. I've I've, I've been in the shop a lot of times. Dr. Gutnik works on me. I've had my nose lifted. I've had, you know, everything fixed. Everything's been lifted. (laughs)
4: Fabulous, (laughs) fabulous. Thank you, guys. Thank you, uh, Louise, Dave and Joe, uh, for talking to us and reminiscing uh, about the Muppets today. Thank Thank you
1: very
3: much. Thank you, Ashley. That was really fun.
2: Goodbye, goodbye.
0: Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM. And still to come this year from Distinct Nostalgia. Most of us actually thought you were called Juliet Bravo. <laughs> yes. I know. Yes.
1: I still get fans <laughs> writing to me, dear Juliet.
2: Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't yes. it? <laughs> yes. Yes. Which yeah. so that no one realised that would happen because, of course, it was
0: the call sign. Join Distinct Nostalgia as we dig deep with exclusive interviews, reunions and special documentaries to celebrate some of the legendary shows we grew up with.
4: Now, yeah. in, in Only When I Laugh, you were a yeah. you, 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 young heartthrob in some respects to some people, I'm well, sure. I was the only young one, so I suppose I <laughs> had to be the, the <laughs> heartthrob. What kind of what kind of feedback did you get from to that part from the public? Um, I, you know, it was immense. It, it was quite
1: incredible when you think about it. In those days, there were only three or four television channels. Mm. So we used to get 19 million people a night watching it which meant that's a third of the country. When I walked down the street the next morning, one in three people would have seen me on television yeah, the night before, yeah, yeah. which was strange in one way. I used to walk down the street looking at the floor. you do Rosemary for us?
2: Hello, hello. Oh, Hong Kong phooey. Everything was always rhyming.
0: We'll be telling exclusive stories as we meet not only those who brought us joy on the screen, but also the directors, producers and writers, the talented creatives who made it all happen. How how long did How We Used to Live go on for? 1968 until about, I suppose,
2: 1998. But then there were repeats uh, because of the national curriculum mainly. Otherwise, it might be still going now.
0: Just some of the gems still to come from Distinct Nostalgia. And don't forget, you can keep in touch with everything we're doing by following us on Twitter at distinct underscore by MIM or at MIM Productions or by going to madeinmanchester.tv. Tell your friends and do let us know about any ideas you may have for docs, shows or reunions. Bye for now.